Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California, Dill, Minnesota. My name is Mike McCaffrey. I'm the Looking California portion of the program. I'm a writer and acting coach in sunny Southern California, and I am joined by everybody's favorite Minnesota, Barry Anderson, two S's. Barry, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a director based in Minnesota, but travels uh, everywhere the job calls for. Today, I'm hunkered down uh, pre-Christmas uh, as we're about to get a uh, an epic snowstorm over the next two days. So uh, it's currently negative five degrees. So uh, I'm uh, got my little Ooh. heater on and I'm I'm uh, trying to enjoy myself. Oh, 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 negative five. Now we're talking. Man. <laughs> People Love ask, it. where does creativity come from? It comes from trying to escape the weather. <laughs> Your mind takes you <laughs> other places, and that's where creativity is found. Well, we we have a special episode today, but we have to put things into context real quick. Um, some some sad news for the pod, and and particularly for Barry. He's in a bit of a a blue period right now because his favorite movie of the last ten years was Black Adam, which came out. Uh, a month or so ago, a couple months ago, and and they just announced they're not going to make a sequel for it. I, I, I just want to let you know, Barry, I'm here for you, and and for if you need any help in your grief and moving forward, I know you are a huge fan of that movie, and uh, I I just I wish you well, my friend. I mean, I just I just hope that uh, the fans make enough of a, a a campaign that when The Rock is 63 years old, they they finally make the the sequel that we all deserved. To this Which, by the way, when he's sixty-three, is only like ten years away. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Far. What at some at some point he'll actually age. Just he hasn't yes. for the last twenty-five. So you it's know, insane. it's insane. Dude's crazy. So actually, what we're talking about today, uh, which is kind of a strange situation. Never in my entire life did I expect to do two podcasts in the span of like three months on Pinocchio. But well, here I, we are. I said that we got to go back and review the Disney one. So we just make it a trifecta for the year. <laughs> we haven't decided if that's going to be our, our last pot of the year or not. But yeah, Maybe we're, we're, jump, on, we're on Pinocchio 2 right now. 2022 is the year of Pinocchio. And uh, this podcast we're doing, we're talking about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Now, this Pinocchio is uh, stop action, uh, stop motion animation. It's currently streaming on Netflix, and again, it's directed and uh, co-written by Guillermo del Toro. It uh, is sort of based on, it's inspired by uh, uh, illustrations by Gris Grimley um, in a, I think it was 2000, I can't remember what year he wrote his his version. Uh, he drew his version of the story, but it inspired del Toro. Um, this film, it stars voice actors, of course, Ewan McGregor, Ron Perlman, John Turturro, Finn Wolfhard, Kate Blanchett, Tilda Swinton, Christoph Waltz, Tim Blake Nelson. It's, there's some heavy hitters in there. Uh, it has a budget of $35 million, which all things considered, it's pretty cheap. Yeah, that's uh, it came out December 9th. It has a runtime of, uh, just under two hours and, it tells the story of Pinocchio. We know the story. Del Toro does make some changes to the sort of uh, original. For instance, the uh, Pleasure Islands section, which um, you may recall uh, Pinocchio and a bunch of little boys, they sort of become slaves to their uh, desires and have like candy and blah, 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 all that. And then they turn into donkeys. Well, that section is gone from this and it's replaced with a section on really fascism because this story is set in Italy between uh, World War One and up to World War Two, so Mussolini, and it's about militarism this part and fighting in wars and it's kind of interesting that it's the opposite. So in the original, it's about uh, a lack of discipline, and in this one, it's sort of an addiction to discipline. Um, but besides that, it's basically the same story. We all know the Pinocchio story. He's a, he's a Geppetto, loses his son. And then years later, he makes a, a puppet. Um, and the puppet comes to life because a wood sprite turns it alive. It's basically, this is it, right? We know it. This is the story. 
the last uh, Pinocchio we talked about was um, Mr. Well, Zemeckis's. <laughs> yeah, but Robert Zemeckis was won an Academy Award, just like Guillermo del Toro. So two Oscar-winning directors have made a Pinocchio movie this year. Bob Zemeckis made move made a, a live-action movie. Um, came out in Disney Plus, I think, at the end of the summer, and it stars Tom Hanks. It is just the most abominable movie. It, it's, I mean, just atrociously bad on, on every level. It's ferocious, hellacious, and ferocious. Which means that's a when you combine horrific and hellacious, it's ferocious. I'm all for um, making up words to sound cool. I'm, I just go with it. it man. Just absolutely it. run with that. My, my, that last sentence I read, by the way, is is uh, more entertaining than Robert Zemeckis's Pinocchio, yeah. just so everybody can understand. So Del Toro, you know, it must have been a race to get Pinocchio out. Del Toro lost, but it's out and it's on Netflix. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, Barry, we've not spoken about this. I saw it first and said you should watch it. We'll pot about it. Um, what did you think of Guillermo Del Toro's Pinocchio? Well, first off, I don't have a love affair with Pinocchio, the story anyway. Don't hate it. Don't love it. You know, so it's basically to me kind of a, a non non attraction slash non repulsion. Um, I'm a massive fan of stop motion animation. Um, I've actually done it before and have a, a a love affair with all the early, you know, special effects and, you know, going back to the Harryhausen days and watching this art form is so beautiful on so many levels. Every time I see one done well, you're just like, please never let this go away. And I feel like this movie, the shining beacon in the star is the actual animation more so than anything else. So just from the sheer talent of this art form, please go see the movie. Um, in terms of a movie, Yes, you're, you know, you point out there's some changes. I think for me, the biggest struggle, the two, my big, two biggest struggles with this movie is number one, the design of Pinocchio doesn't, like sometimes you can have an inanimate object, like a Wally or something like that, and you can imbue kind of human emotion and you can get connected to it. I never felt a connection to Pinocchio, this whole, the whole movie. Like it, he, like the facial expressions, whatever it was, I was never captivated by that. And then second of all, that transitioned to the rest of the movie. I think sometimes in stop motion, you know, you're the way you have to prep it. You got to figure out what they're saying, how long, how long does the scene go? Make sure, you know, it's harder to kind of in an edit, make it breathe or shrink. You're kind of locked into it. So there were several scenes where I thought things felt rushed. So you didn't get the ominousness of it or the innocence of it or the character change. And so I felt like the visuals drove it and then kind of the emotional buoys were being dragged behind the boat and they never really fell into place. So, you know, especially near the end, we could talk about some of the climactic scenes and kind of where you're supposed to have gone on this journey and where you're supposed to get to. I was like, this doesn't feel earned to me. And I don't know precisely why, because the talent was exceptional. You know, Guillermo's like talented you know, the stop motion artwork's great, but yet somehow I felt like there wasn't a whole lot, you know, kind of under the surface of this movie. That's interesting. Uh, I had the exact opposite um, reaction to it. I I loved it. I loved the movie. I thought the stop uh, motion is, I mean, I, like you, I'm a huge, huge fan of it. I, I just love the art form. I always have, and and I think it's just masterfully done uh, in this movie. I just also found the the changes, and just what what Del Toro sort of drew out of the Pinocchio tale. Because look, I'm the same way. I I don't give two shits about Pinocchio. Like you know, th that story has never resonated with me. Um, I I you know I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just whatever. And I found this version to be easily the best I've ever seen and also the most profound. I, I found it to be an incredibly profound film. And 
part of that profundity comes from, um, not surprisingly, considering it's Del Toro, but it's it's a dark movie, and um, I think his particular brand of darkness is very, uh, very Catholic, and being a Catholic myself, uh, you know, <laughs> for good or for ill. It, that stuff really resonated with me. And so this movie's really about, it's this existential angst of a movie. And it's about dying and losing loved ones and, and how brief and fragile life is. And then when you get into the war stuff, I thought like, man, that's, you know, you do not get anti-war movies made anymore. And we know, know why that is. It's because... The Pentagon and and the the intelligence communities work hand in glove with Hollywood. That's how it works. It, that's not some weird conspiracy theory. This is this is an acknowledged fact that Hollywood uh, are beholden to the Pentagon, and the Pentagon controls what comes out of Hollywood. That's the deal. That's why you get you know all these rah rah let's go to war movies. That's why Top Gun is is you know is made and is a huge hit. And you never stop hearing about how amazing it is. Um, and this is this is a very, very smart anti-war movie. It's a very profound movie about a father and his son. Um, you know, you, you're a father uh, to a son, so am I. Um, I watched it with my son. It, 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 it just, I was like, this movie connected with me in a myriad of ways. And and I was just I was deeply moved by it. Um, I Del Toro does a bunch of stuff that I'm just. I was like, damn man, he he's like, he never takes the sort of easy way out, and he never lets you off the hook, right? <laughs> so you're like, for instance, there's a scene where Pinocchio is. Um, along with the other boys in his village sent to this military camp to train for the war. And this is again, Mussolini's Italy, uh, fascist, you know, pretty, pretty militaristic society. And uh, he and this boy from the town who they've been sort of at loggerheads, they start messing around and saying back to each other, you know, to sort of say how they're not afraid. They're saying, I love war. And Pinocchio is yelling it. And his nose doesn't grow. Which I, I thought was interesting. I was like, oh, wow. That's, that's pretty interesting. Then Pinocchio goes through war, basically. And at the end of the movie, in order to save his, his father and his friends and uh, himself, eventually, he has to have his nose grow. That's that's like a key point. And to get his nose to grow, he yells, I love war. And his nose grows. And I'm like, God damn, man. Like, Del Toro's bringing the heat in this one. And there's a bunch of stuff like that. Like, um, when Geppetto loses his son, his first son, um, Geppetto is making... That's the other thing. I'm getting off track. But I'll just say this. Yeah. Those editions of those things, I think this film is just the foundation of it is religious. It's a very spiritual movie and it has a very Catholic moral foundation to it. And that storytelling particularly, it's, yeah, I was really sort of shocked. There's a scene in the movie pretty early on where people are worshiping. And I'm like, you don't see that in movies anymore. You know, and look, I'm, I'm not saying people should join a church. Or I'm just saying like, that slice of life is not seen anymore and it's shown in this and then christ is this looming figure in the story and profoundly so and of course pinocchio is a christ figure it's what he is and then this movie takes that even deeper and you get all the weird sort of del toro visitation to the afterlife which is, you know and the and the the sort of angel slash wood sprite, whatever it is that gives him life anyway, is creepy as hell. Yeah. It's like, you're just like, whoa. And of course he's got this whole thing with eyes. You know, of course you go back to Pan's labyrinth with like the eyes. 
and there's eyes in this and you're just like holy cow so it's pretty heavy stuff and it's pretty dark and my son who is seven um he really enjoyed it but it was funny at the end he said yeah that's got um it has too many bombs for like little kids <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yes it does that's very true you know because like people die in this movie and you're like holy shit um so i think you know obviously i liked it more than you did i mean to me this was one of the best films i've seen this year and it's easily one of the most profound films i've seen since 2019 um you know and i i admittedly am a del toro fan um i don't love everything he does but he's such a singular sort of visionary genius that it all comes together in this and i think it's the perfect art form for him like that he can just do his thing and um that's those are my initial thoughts and they're they're more than initial long-winded as always well it's rare on these podcasts where you're just blatantly wrong on so many uh fronts. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of them uh del toro is a i mean he's a filmmaker he's got a vision he's got a style he's got a thing and a lot of what he was trying like to me, the the profundity of when he's screaming, I love war, and his nose isn't growing, it's kind of like that innocence of like, you know, being propped up to go to war and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once you've gone yeah. through it, you're like, oh, no, I don't like that at all. So there, yeah. and, it, and it's it's what I like about that is that shows like a filmmaker that can have a point of view. Somebody might miss it the first time around, but then when you watch it, it's kind of layered in and you're like, oh, that's a lot deeper than I thought. And which is which is surprising. I wonder how much of your like of this movie is coming directly after the Zemeckis one. Because <laughs> this movie <laughs> is in a category all of its own that yeah. like, I wonder if like the other one was so bad. Cause this is not, this is not a bad movie. I just from, I mean, you take Pan's Labyrinth, you take, you know, The Shape of Water, you take this stuff that he's done in the past. And I felt like he connected more emotionally with the audience and kept them more engaged than they did in this one. This one, I felt far more passive as the viewer. Like I'm, I'm reading all the things you're saying. I mean, obviously Geppetto's, you know, create, you know, sculpting Christ to put at the front of the church, you know, before the bomb goes off. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, you know, symbolism and I mean, the 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 struggle between Pinocchio and whatever that wood sprite angel is and trying to, you know, you can't die, you can't die. And then it's like, well, what do you have to do? Well, what does it mean to be human? And what do you got to give? Like, yeah. I mean, these are I love these existential and or kind of larger picture ultimate issue style discussions, especially if you can have them with younger kids where they're starting to kind of formulate and be like, no, these are yeah. in, in a way that's not, you know, so terrifying that you're going to like scar them for life. But again, to me, the whole thing of cinema is you got to connect the audience. And I just maybe need to watch it again. Maybe it was like a bad, you know, a bad watch through. But I just I just couldn't the most profound or the most connecting character was Christoph Waltz's character for me. He's the one that oh, stood really? out. Uh, and I, I normally like Ewan McGregor, but I thought his Jiminy Cricket was like, you know, almost annoying. <laughs> in like i didn't like the face on that and he couldn't connect to it so i just i just maybe it's just me but i i didn't get the connection so the the work and the subtext and the complexity of the script i didn't get to bathe in because i was putting so much work in to like stay with it because i wasn't connecting with the character so i think that i don't disagree with everything you said i just think that there was magic missing in this that i can't quite pinpoint yeah i mean it, it was the opposite for me um you know like i i like you and mcgregor and i actually liked how they had that uh you know jiminy cricket character I, I actually liked how they did that i will agree with you that there was something about his face was too realistic so he has no pupils in his eyes which i actually think worked against them in terms of connecting but i thought it was cool that it was an actual real cricket yeah <laughs> it's like all that and i actually like the character um you know and i and i think 
I don't think I, I feel this strongly about it because the last one was so terrible. Um, I think just it's one of those things that just I'm I'm at a place in my life where you know I'm sitting there watching this with my young son and like this is about a father and a son and you know like that's it <laughs> and my son is not dissimilar to Pinocchio in terms of like he's fired up he's ready to go let's do it um, you know and, and the other part is that like we've been going through uh, stuff in terms of grief and life and death you know somebody a friend of mine just died recently and um he's aware of that and like asks questions about it and and you know it's it's a you have to navigate that very delicately with a young kid because you don't want to freak him out but you also don't want to lie to them you know so going through all of that and then having this movie that represents it. And of course we're Catholic and, and this is a very Catholic movie. Um, it, it's just, it, it's one of those things that just hit the sweet spot for me. And then on top of it all, it's stop motion animation, which like we literally have spent the last two weeks watching and rewatching all those rank and bass, um, you know, Rudolph oh, the Red Nose Reindeer, yes. Santa Claus is coming to town a year without a Santa Claus. Speaking of which, um the uh which one is it it's the year without a santa claus uh, you know heat miser freeze miser love it everybody everybody loves those i have a buddy of mine who i texted him when i was watching it and just said oh i'm watching this bland and again and he the, my buddy's a, a year younger than me um you know grew up it's a middle class regular dude he replies back to me. He's like, I've never seen it. And I'm like, what the fuck? How is that even possible? Like, there was nothing else to do in the 1970s but watch this shit around Christmas time. And you've never seen it? Like, you're, and I know his parents, like, they should be arrested for neglect even now. That's not, that's impossible that you didn't see this. Because like you'd go to school and kids would be like, oh, I'm freeze miser, I'm heat miser. And they'd sing the song. And this guy has never seen it. I'm like, that's insane. Anyway, point being, can I, we've can been I, watching can all I, this can stuff. I, can I end our podcast right now? <laughs> I've never, never seen I've it? I've never seen that one. What the fuck? <laughs> I, oh, I've seen God. I've seen all the other ones, but I've never seen that one. A year without Santa Claus, no. Yeah, heat miser, freeze miser. You've never seen it. Never. Jesus Christ, Barry! <laughs> what guess, the hell? I have homework to do tonight. <laughs> oh my God! And it's the it's so funny because it's like the Rankin Bass guys, oh, yeah. and like they, you know, what's his name, uh, Mickey Rooney. Just like, I can't remember if he's. I think he's Santa. Yeah, he's Santa Claus in that one too. He, they, poor Mickey Rooney, like played Santa Claus in all their fucking shows. Unbelievable. Um, no Burl Ives though, of course. Uh, the late Burl Ives, dear friend of mine. So that's crazy that you've never seen that. No. Anyway, it's the stop motion animation thing. It's Christmas, so we've been watching a whole bunch of that, and I love it. It's great. And this, so this movie just sort of fell into all those things, connected with them all, connected with me where I am right now, connected with my son where he is, and connected with our relationship where it is. And again, I was I was deeply moved by it, particularly. First of all, I just enjoyed the anti-war stuff. I thought it was smart and well done, and wasn't like too obnoxiously heavy-handed or anything. Um, but the end, which I won't, I won't give away, but like the end is really poignant and sort of unnerving, right? It's like, hmm. The, the very, very end or like yeah, the, after the, some of the major events happen? Yeah, the end where Pinocchio is walking to the top of the hill. Yeah, okay, yep. Yeah, um, I think that's extremely well done. Tears, um, tears, tears were brought to my eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's just really well done. And you know, I'm sitting there with my son, and I'm like, oh, I got to keep my shit together. You know, <laughs> like, um, but so I just, I just really love the movie. And look, 
Del Toro, it's funny. I, I don't think you like Nightmare Alley. Um, no. The one, yeah. Well, I like it, Nightmare Alley and, and you didn't. It, well, it's Bradley Cooper. Like, by and large, yeah. like, I find when you put, like, we talked about that, you know, if you, if Leo was supposed to be in that, that would have been a different experience. I just didn't think yeah, yeah. Bradley Cooper held up that world at all, in my opinion. Right. So I like that more than you. I, I am one of the few people who like The Shape of Water. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think it's like, you know, Oscar worthy or whatever, but Coda won last year. So who, who are we fucking kidding? Um, Pan's Labyrinth to me, man, I, I just remember seeing that in the theater and just being like, holy cow, man. Like, this is amazing. So I I really respect Del Toro. Um you know, and and but I I feel like the reason I like this movie is because you know, and, and I've said this about uh, the Irish and and Mexicans before, um, very similar. You know, Catholic in their DNA, even though both countries are sort of Ireland in particular has has discarded religion. Um, but you know, you, Catholicism is in your DNA. It's just there, and it's how you see the world. Um, like Irish and Mexican boxers are very similar. You know, maybe not the most talented people, but like, it, it takes a sledgehammer to bring them down, and you'll cut them, and they'll bleed everywhere, and they'll just keep coming. And you know, family-oriented, uh, sort of matriarchal in that sense. And I think Del Toro and I just have a similar cosmology. And and that's we see the world in a similar way. His is obviously much more uh, ingenious than mine, but I think that's why this resonated so much with me. And it really did resonate a great deal. I I can't uh, say enough how profound I found this movie to be. Again, for all those reasons, you know, just of where I am in my life, my son, my you know friend who just died, all that sort of stuff. And then the goddamn animation is gorgeous, like. Just Geppetto's beard alone. <laughs> you could just have his beard walk through the whole movie and you're like, holy cow. I would love to see when when they all wash up on shore, watching the foam on the water waves coming yeah. in. I'm like, I don't even know how they did it. It is so stunningly beautiful and that is almost impossible to pull off. And they yeah. just lingered enough where you're like, oh man. You know the animators are like, Seriously, we have to hold this long? Come on, man. This is a lot of work. And he's like, it'll be worth it. And you're just like, whoo, that was uh, that was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. Yeah, and you know what? The other thing, it's sort it's very subtle, but this is there is music in this, like songs and stuff. But it's it's very uh sort of it's not a major presence in the movie, which I think benefits it, actually. Yeah. I felt like the Zemeckis thing, like those, it was like a movie built around those songs as opposed to those songs just happening to show up in a movie. Yeah. And that's always bad, you know, when you're, especially when you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't need Tom Hanks talk singing some fucking movie to some song with, you know, some CGI, you know, puppet. No thanks. Um, but yeah, so. And, and I do wonder, I mean, I, I was reading a little bit about it and just, I mean, $35 million to make this thing, it seems like a lot of money, but big picture, it's not really. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, it, I, I feel like it'll earn out just from the sheer fact of like movies like this hold up well over time because it's kind of like a, yeah, a kid's yeah. movie, but it's more of like a tween. So you can have older kids in, which a lot of times people are like, oh, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. And so I feel like this has got like legs for like years to come. So I, I think yeah. they're going to do well with this over time. And this is the kind of thing that Netflix should be making. Like yeah. it's sort of the perfect Netflix movie in that you're right. It crosses sort of age barriers. It's something that will stand the test of time so that like kids will watch it when they grow up and, you know, like 10 years from now, a whole group of new people can see this movie and probably will. Yeah. Whereas you look at, and we can get into the business of this, but like Disney, 
let's talk about Disney, shall we? <laughs> oh, boy. This is a pivot I didn't see coming. Yeah, let's do it. You and I have been having a text conversation uh, for the last bunch of months, anyway, about good old Disney. And I think, look, Netflix has its own problems, and it does. It has, it has serious problems. Um, but Disney has serious, serious problems. And I think the difference between the Disney Plus Pinocchio and the Netflix Pinocchio sort of, you know, is, is a clear indicator of what those problems are. But Disney Plus, like that Zemeckis thing, that's just, wa that's just washed away. That's just lost in the, like if you go to Disney Plus and you're with your kids and you're like, oh, let's watch Pinocchio. You're not going to choose that Pinocchio. You would choose the original Pinocchio because it's sitting right there, right? And yep. it's infinitely superior to that Correct. one. You'll be like, hey, let's watch that one. And, you know, your kids will probably want to watch that one over and over again. That's how Disney made a whole lot of money. People watching that over and over again. But the whole Disney thing is that, like, they're just rudderless at the moment. And Netflix has its own problems. It, it, it has a ton of debt you know, things like that. But like when you see something like this and what they do is they allow talented people to do what they want to do and they, they pay for it. Now they're getting away from that, oddly enough. But like you're giving Guillermo del Toro $35 million and say, hey, make something cool. And he'll be like, got it. And now you have something cool. Now, as I said, they recently came out and said like, we're not going to do that anymore. And I'm like, Okay, you're just going to turn out more garbage that is just completely forgettable. All right. But like Disney's the exact opposite. They are very controlling and that control has led them to really churn out just utter garbage in the last, what is it now, four years? And the stock is tanking. Iger's back after backstabbing his replacement. Um, you know, it just brings up the question of like, what are they going to do? You know, and HBO uh, and Warner Brothers Discovery is going through hell with their uh, trying to reboot, as we talked about, you know, Black Adam being canceled. They're trying to reboot their big franchise thing and they're having a hell of a time. And so it just, it, it brings up the whole Hollywood discussion, oddly enough, coming from <laughs> fucking Pin Pinocchio, uh, movie. <laughs> but it just brings that up of like where are we headed man what, what's going on what do you think is going to happen with disney i mean like long term sure like what do you mean well yeah long term is disney has their star wars thing and they have their marvel thing and besides that they don't have shit i mean Pixar has done nothing no but i mean there was a switch where pixar was their workhorse for a while oh sure it was then as pixar started to fade like the animation from Disney came back and they had their, you know, in and out and frozen. Like, I think it's somewhat cyclical. I think Disney's going to be okay because they have enough IP across the board that they can survive and reboot and kind of find new ways. And what, what ends up happening in this is same thing. It's, you know, been happening with like star Wars, they try all these things and they got to cancel everything. And then, you know, something like Mandalorian comes along and kind of yeah. they go back to like the people who actually know the stories like can you guys just make something that someone will care about and then they do then they start releasing a whole bunch of like tv series thinking it's going to work and then you know three quarters of them are absolute garbage and then they're like okay that doesn't work it's like i feel like in the history of hollywood with the exception of like the original kind of you know the big the big bosses they somehow, even if they didn't understand how to make movies, they understood what made a good movie. And so yeah. they were kind of the gatekeepers mm -hmm. of being like, we're not going to let just crap make it out like of our big movies. I mean, all the B movies were kind of crap and they would make money. And that was kind of the feeding ground to build the next generation of great filmmakers. But now there is nobody in Hollywood that is like a story person that's going to put a stop to the madness. So every studio that finally gets someone in that place or someone smart enough to go like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. Christopher Nolan's on a thing, or Quentin Tarantino's on a thing, or, you know, Spielberg's on a thing. And then you have to read the tea leaves when they kind of jump ship, because 
you know, Spielberg right now is not been the most bankable, you know, entity that yeah. been for most of his career. And so yeah. you got, you got to read, you know, his projects and go, Oh, you know, when, 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 when have I stayed on the train too long? And then who is the next generation of filmmakers that are going to come up and be consistent? You know, you got someone like Rain Johnson now that is it Netflix that's in with him for yeah. the knives out franchise and stuff. Yeah. And my question is, are they in the knives out franchise or are they on the rain like franchise? And I, yeah, it's yeah. too early to tell, but the problem is unless there's someone protecting and understanding the stories, you're always going to have things fall apart. Like DC I mean, if you think about Christopher Nolan's shepherding, and even for that matter, the first couple of films of Tim Burton, you know, talk about just yep. taking some money, putting it on a table, waving a wand and watching it multiply like rabbits. You know, it, it can be done, but then they give it to, you know, filmmakers that aren't as skilled or don't understand or want to take it too far. That's how you end up with like Batman and Robin. And you got yeah. you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze, and you're like, well, this is not this isn't working and the audience agrees. So I feel like the biggest problem Disney has is there's nobody there that's protecting. I mean, it's clear that uh, Kathleen Kennedy <clears throat> and shepherding star Wars is not, doesn't either have the backbone or doesn't have the breadth of knowledge that someone like, you know, David Filoni should be in that position more so than her, because he can just be like, I don't understand how to do all the, you know, the networking and all this stuff to be the lead producer but if someone comes in here with a script yeah it doesn't make sense in the star wars canon i'll spot that in a nanosecond and you need that and i think what happens with someone like david filoni is they pay him they get him busy and he kind of like takes his eye off the ball because they're trying to launch like 47 different franchises yeah, and then yeah. the 47 doesn't have anybody looking at it like he needs to be like looking at all of it and they instead put him in just a little corner of it so i feel like Long-term Disney will be okay. I think there's going to go through, I think all entertainment conglomerates now are going to go through a major yeah. you know, you know, con, you know, contraction and change. But the thing is, is we learned during the pandemic and the lockdown, what's the first thing people run to when they get downtime? It's entertainment. Like entertainment is not going away. It's just going to pivot. It's going to change. What that looks like, don't exactly know. But obviously I think things like Netflix saying to Martin Scorsese, Whatever movie you want to make at any budget level, we will do it just to be in the Martin Scorsese like thing. That's not going to happen. And I think that's why you have Francis Ford Coppola now making his magnum opus that he's self-funding. And you're like, can you imagine if you would have said 30 years ago that someone wouldn't fund right. Francis Ford Coppola's next project after yeah. his like out of the gate? You're like, whoa. And then you got people like, you know, Steven Spielberg, who's not making a you know buku amount of dollars anymore. And he can do whatever he wants. I mean, the reason that Spielberg can get away with it is he keeps his budgets. He doesn't balloon to two to 300 million. You know, he stays at that hundred million less. So it, it becomes a bargain for his price point, but it's not, you know, the all time great film. And I don't know if Francis Ford Coppola's new movie is going to be an all time great, but it's just odd that, you know, whatever, how many years ago, three years ago, it was the Martin Scorsese uh, project. Yeah, 20, Netflix. 2019. Yeah. So like in three years, you go from basically like if he would have had this idea three years ago and pitched it, he probably would have got it picked up. And now he's right. selling all of his assets to make his own movie. Yeah, it's a pretty strong indication, uh, you know, that a recession is either upon us or is imminent that you see what's happening with uh, the budgets for films. They've expanded, 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 and the box office has decreased, decreased, decreased. So uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, perfect example. The budget, you know, bloated to say the least. And that's not going to make a billion dollars. It'll be lucky to make $800 million, right? Which is crazy. And then it's crazy that like, you're basically breaking even at that point. Um, you know, and I, there was an article in the New York Times yesterday about uh, AMC, the, the TV network. And they have a streaming service and, you know, they, they, had, they were spending all this money, you know, they bought the um, uh, interview with the vampire like that uh, Anne Rice whole universe. They, they own that and uh, are trying to sort of get it done. And I watched the first episode of that and I was like, yikes. Um, but they're cutting 20% of their workforce and they're like, okay, well, we're not making enough money for a regular TV channel anymore. 
we have to do something drastically different. Um, and then the streaming wars, there's so many streaming services. I do this for a living. I don't have them all. I, I'm just like, I'm not getting Paramount Plus and I'm not doing Peacock. I'm sorry. I'm just not doing it. Like, I, I'm already overwhelmed with stuff to watch and most of it is junk. I don't think I'm going to find some gem over there. Okay. And so you see all these things and you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. And then you see perfect example is Spielberg. Spielberg is whatever you think of him as a movie maker. And I certainly have my problems. I mean, he's the movie maker of our lifetimes. He's the guy. And even though he's in the last sort of stage of his career and, you know, you can make arguments, even though he's, he gets nominated all the time. He hasn't made a good movie in a really long time. The Fablemans came out and, you know, it's a very personal movie. He's he's always up to this in terms of marketing. He's made it very clear this is an Oscar movie and a prestige movie. And this is the type of movie that people go see, particularly older people. Nobody went and saw this thing. It It's literally on video on demand already. And that was like within weeks of it being in the theater. And it's like, wow, if Spielberg can't like draw old people, and I get it, there's a pandemic and all this stuff. It doesn't apply anymore, people. I'm telling you, it doesn't. People well, will go see what they want to see, which is why they went and saw Top Gun, right? Yeah, but but see, now my parents who are older now, Everybody told them to go see, you know, the new Top Gun and they never got around to it. Like they're at the stage now where they used to go see a few movies. Yeah. They don't go anymore. Like, yeah. I think the problem is there's a, a certain limit now of the upper age of Americans that unless you are truly a cinephile, they don't want to go. So that part of the business is dead. Now, my parents will consume 953 series off of BBC, PBS. Like, they'll watch yeah. till the heart's content, yeah. but they're not going to the theater. So yeah. they might watch something like The Fablemans, but also my parents are a perfect example, and I know other people kind of in the similar age range. They want series that are like 25 to 44 minutes so they don't fall asleep while watching it. So like right. an hour and a half, two hour long movie, they know it's a multi-night you know, got to rewind to figure out where what each of us fell asleep to the movie yeah. it makes it difficult to pull off. So I think that's the problem. And something like the Fablemans, what, you know, for your average moviegoer, what's the sell? Like, I don't think Gen Z or whatever the generation underneath Spielberg right. didn't anything. So it's like, what do you want to go watch about a dude that want to grow up making movies? Every YouTube star that they watch online is how did I get started? How did I make, you know, build an audience? It's like, right. that's not interesting to these people. So he's going after people who, you know, I've also like, I'm the perfect example for someone who would be the core audience for the Fablemans. Yeah. I've also been reading about Steven Spielberg for the last 30 years. Yeah. Like I know his story <laughs> maybe better than he does at this point. So like, why make the movie about a subject that's been covered so well without like movie stars, without like, you know, it's, there's not dinosaurs, there's not aliens. There's, you know, it's like, it's just a story not you know it's not lincoln it's not you know based on a, a book ready player one i mean usually he's taking something that he can like you know throw some gas on and make it go and this is like no it's just the same stuff i've told you i'm just gonna make a movie and then you're gonna watch it and it's not gonna mean that much and then it's gonna win an oscar it's like mm, it's not a very compelling pitch in my opinion yeah here's something interesting slight pivot so, yes, yeah, Spielberg makes this movie about like, hey, I grew up wanting to make movies and the joy of movies and they mean so much. Uh, Inurito has a new movie on Netflix, actually, just came out called Bardo. It's about the same thing, basically, about a filmmaker's experience, about like what movies mean to him. Uh, James Gray had a movie earlier this year, Armageddon Time. Same thing, same story about him growing up as a young filmmaker and like all this. Um, Sam Mendes has a movie out. Can't remember the name of it, but it's about the same thing, the magic of movies, you know, all these things. So there are four movies from four different filmmakers about uh, filmmakers, sort of what filmmaking means to them and how it affected their lives. And then you have two Oscar-winning filmmakers making a Pinocchio movie. 
it strikes me <laughs> that that type of movie, um, not Pinocchio, but like the, hey, here's an autobiographical movie about myself, is like the last bastion of the creatively bankrupt. That it's like, man, I, I've run out of shit to say, so I'm just going to talk about myself for a little bit, which, you know, that's basically how I go through life. But um, I'm not making millions of dollars <laughs> writing movies. Um, and the Pinocchio thing is interesting because it, at least to uh, we, we said this when we saw the Zemeckis one, it's just we were wondering, why would you make this movie? And you're not saying anything interesting. You're just sort of rehashing it. Whereas at least with Del Toro, he's saying something. You may not agree with it. You may not, you know, might not find it compelling, but he certainly has his unique spin on it. Um, this is all to say that it feels like, and I think you're right about the older generation, that it's just what we witnessed in the last three years is that, I mean, because I used to go to the movies all the time during the day. That was my favorite time to go because yeah. I didn't want to deal with crowds and all that. And I would be going with the blue hairs, you know, they like me and the old people. And I don't think that happens anymore. I think, I think you're right. I think it's a function of it's, it's such a hassle going to the movies. I find this myself. You, I've not seen Wakanda forever. And the reason for that is it's just a hassle to go. You know, uh, I've not seen Avatar 2 because it's a pain in the ass to go to the movies. It's actually but, called Ava Avatar The Shape of Water. It's not Avatar 2. So let's. No, James, it's, Cameron, it's James, James Cameron's just called. He just called me on my phone and said, tell Mike. It's not advertising. It's, it's not the shape of water, Barry. It's the way of water. No, it doesn't matter. Nobody it knows does. it. Nobody knows the suffix anyway. They're just going to call it Avatar <laughs> 2. Another perfect example. Avatar 2, the way of water. We were going back and forth about this on a text thread uh, about what do you think it's going to do? And Cameron is saying, oh, it's got to make $2 billion to break even because it got, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you thought it might do better not than two billion. You thought, I think you said one point five. Yeah, which I think is a, is probably correct guess. I thought it would do less, but then it comes out and it underform underperforms its original pro projections, which were nearly two hundred million on opening weekend, and then they reconfigured the projections. And it even underperformed the new projections <laughs> to do, I think it, it was around 130 million it did. And worldwide, you know, altogether, I think it's made like 400 million. A lot of money, not enough. And people, and all these articles, it's so funny. People are scared to death of James Cameron. They're just like, I'm not gonna doubt James Cameron because he, first of all, if he ever meets me, he's gonna bludgeon me to death. And secondly, like he's got the track record of like, yep, guess against me at your at your peril but like everybody's tap dancing around the fact this movie is underperforming and it may do better it's got christmas and no competition ahead of it but like i don't know man i don't know it's just it feels like the wakanda forever thing of like oh it's gonna be a huge hit wakanda forever last i checked of all the marvel movies is ranked like number 15 in terms of how much money it's taken in at the box office like that's a nothing. It's nothing. And it feels, and we've talked about this, all those Marvel movies, you saw the box office expand, 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 expand. And now it's just deflating. But every Marvel movie this year underperformed. Uh, not surprisingly, every DC <laughs> film underperformed. I mean, that's just the way it goes with them. But like, that just feels what's happening, that people are just saying, you know what, it's not that important. Going to the movies doesn't matter anymore. Those, those mid-tier sort of prestige movies that like are our bread and butter, nothing. There's nothing going on with them. And you just worry that they're just going to stop making them because... Well, they will, they will for a while, then someone will make one that'll like make a bajillion dollars and then it'll be all the rage again because i remember i remember distinctly when they declared the sitcom dead on tv yeah they're like sitcoms are dead never coming back 
And then as streaming services kept paying billions after billions after billions, suddenly there was a new wave of successful, you know, successful sitcoms. And then, you know, oh, you know, we've seen every lawyer and doctor show ever. Like those are going to go away. Yes. They're on TV now. They're all doctor and lawyer things still like 40 years after they declared that they were going to die off. So cop shows are over. Everything's a cop show, a lawyer show or doctor show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like Hollywood's always cyclical. Because like for a while, you know, like comedies, comedies have been declared dead and there are no comedies in movies right now. And yeah. I guarantee something like the wedding crashers are going to come out again and it's going to just crush at the box office and everyone's going to be like, what? How did this happen? You're like, it's been like 20 years since a comedy came out. Someone's going to make one. It's going to be good. And everybody that wants to laugh is going to show up in droves and then you're going to get a bunch of knockoffs and then they're going to do the same thing. Like Hollywood right. chases... They, they can't predict and then they chase. And it requires the actual artist to be like, I'm going to make this because it, it just needs to be made. And then the audience is like, yeah, I'm glad that you made this. And there's not enough of those artists that have the power or the finances or the clout just to say, you know, shut up, sit down, executive. I'm, I'm, I got this. I mean, you also look back at some of the great, you know, movies that have become iconic like Jaws. Jaws would be absolutely shut down today. It required a an executive that had power to hold off the rest of the world being like, we need to kill this thing. You're like, no, this is this is worthy to do. We are going to stick with this insanity and it will like turn out well for us. But who has the who has the kahunas now to stand up yeah. to Wall Street or some sort of corporate pressure? If that comes down now, people are cowards and they just run because it's so easy to get rid of them. And for those that aren't watching, Mike uh, just immediately disengaged, picked up binoculars, and he's looking for Pinocchio running through the forest right as we speak. We have a wild creature in my backyard that I cannot identify, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what color is it? I'll help. I think it's a uh, fisher cat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I think that's exactly what it is. Pretty cool. That is pretty anyway. cool. I agree with you that there's nobody in the sort of uh, hierarchy of Hollywood who's going to be like, hey, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. Leave them alone. But then you think about like like Kathleen Kennedy's perfect example, just has no clue what she's doing. It's just taking a dump all over Star Wars. Um, Kevin Feige, who, of course, you know, man, the good ship Marvel to, to spectacular heights. I mean, what is he doing? And then you and I, we talked about this the other day. Marvel came out with their new Avengers, you know, like the, and it's like, just, it, I, I they wish it was B-level superheroes. It's, holy it's cow. It's bad. It's Trouble like at best C-minus guys, and you're, or dead women, and you're just like, ay, ay, ay. And now James Gunn, over at DC, him and some other clown are like put in charge of that place. I think I, I'm pretty mixed on James Gunn as as a movie maker. Um, he's an acquired taste. I'm I, I really don't think I've acquired it, but there's some things I like that he does. But he's just firing everybody over there. He's just like, hey, Superman, we're moving on. Wonder Woman later. Hey, Black Adam, see ya. You know, and it's like, what are they gonna do? Because, and the funny thing is, is that this Flash movie is still happening, even though the guy playing the Flash is a lunatic, has <laughs> been arrested like six times in the last nine months. But it's like, well, we're we're stuck with this thing, so I guess it's coming out. Anyway, the point being in all of this is that this has been a weird time for the movie business. It's also been a weird and very depressing time uh, for the art of cinema. And when I see something like Pinocchio as sort of mainstream fair as it is, because uh, obviously it's so well-crafted, so beautifully put together. It so obviously means something very deeply to Del Toro that I find it heartening. And as I find it even more heartening than I found 
Zemeckis's Pinocchio, which was slapdash. He obviously didn't give a shit. He, he you know, the, the craftsmanship on that movie was just repulsive. It was so second rate. That was such a disheartening experience. And then to see this where a very talented guy really cares and is like, I'm doing my thing, man. And like, this is going to be good. And you may not like it, but it's going to be good. That's heartening because that that has become less and less the case, especially on streamers where it's like churn and burn, man. Just get it out there. Get it done. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be. You yep. just need something for people to click on. That's it. And that's the thing. So maybe that's why this movie sort of resonated with me is just like the care put into making it. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with that. hundred percent. Like this is, this is, this is art. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's just so rare nowadays, you know, that people are fawning over. We joke about, you know, the top gun's going to win best picture. And I just saw an article about like top gun, um, should win best picture it's not the best picture it's not even really a good picture but it should win best picture and i'm just like this is the problem that we have right now <laughs> that it's just like hey problem tom cruise likes to do skydiving let's give him an academy awards <laughs> what yes. are we doing so that's why i found pinocchio this one uh del toro's pinocchio just the craftsmanship in it. It's really a beautiful, beautiful movie to look at. And, you know, obviously you had a different reaction to it, but I found it really profound and deeply moving. And um, as a, as a father in particular, and watching it with my young son, it really, it was like a spear through my heart. So that's my take on it. I, I wrote my review. It's out already. Um, I gave it four out of five stars, which makes it, among a, a handful of movies that I gave a thumbs up to this year. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I thought it was one of the best movies I've seen. What would you give it on a scale of uh, one to five? I'd say like probably like a three, three. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds, that, that's, that's understandable. All right, Barry, anything else to add about Pinocchio, about Guillermo del Toro, about death, life, grief, the cinema, uh, movie business, Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, Netflix, this any, is, uh, Steven Spielberg, Jaws, you know, anything, Barry. You know anything those games ask. where it's like a bunch of words and you're trying to figure out how they all are associated? <laughs> what you yeah. just verbally did, death, depressing, lack of art, Hollywood. <laughs> that you just, you literally made your little mood board for everything that you just said. Welcome <laughs> to my life, sum- everybody. Summation of Hollywood these days. But I, yeah. I don't know if I'm just Pollyanna, but I have more hope that there will be other good movies because there's always fallow periods in cinema history where everyone's like, well, this is all over. And then eventually some talented people come in and kind of shake things up. And I think at some point that's going to start to happen. I'm just curious when when and how that's going to rise. Yeah, I mean, I I do I agree with you. It's it's it is a cyclical thing, and things just change. How people watch things is obviously changing at the moment. Um, theaters are probably theater owners are probably not thrilled about that, um, but you know it's partly their fault for the theater experience. But it's striking to me because I don't recall in my lifetime a period this long, this bad in terms of cinema. So we've had three just truly dreadful years. And it's it's jarring to go through as somebody who is a cinephile. Yeah. yeah, it's rough, man, where you're just like, yikes, what are we doing? Um, all right, well, that wraps up our discussion on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is on Netflix. I liked it more than Barry. Uh, we both love the craftsmanship. I found it to be a bit more profound than Barry did. But you know what? Live and let live. We, people can disagree and still you know, respect each other. Uh, of course, I've never respected Barry, so that's not really an issue right now. Um, those are our final thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I say go watch it. Barry says go watch it, but you know, not quite as profoundly as, as, as I do, as loudly as I do. That's the story with Pinocchio. 
It's better than the other one we watched on Disney Plus. <laughs> just know that. Just know that. If you're gonna watch Pinocchio, watch Del Toro's. Just yes. let Bob Demeckis yes. and Tom Hanks go fuck off with their garbage. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Look at California Film Minnesota. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time at the movies. You think people realize that we just script which side we're gonna take before this and we don't actually watch the movies? I, I'll be honest, I don't think so because my performance, not surprisingly, my performances are so realistic, so grounded, and so based. Um, here's the thing, though. I'm glad I didn't watch this movie, and I'm glad you just sent me notes and what I should say, and I appreciate it, Barry. I appreciate well, it. It just shows you how much you can learn from a preview. <laughs> <laughs> In my review, this is true. In my review, I told this story, but um, my son... I said, hey, you, do you want to watch this Pinocchio with me? And he had seen the trailer for it. He had, had clicked over to it. Netflix does this thing where it plays the trailer immediately. And he watched it. He goes, no, I don't want to watch that. That looks terrible. I'm like, it does? He goes, yeah, I don't want to watch it. I don't think you should watch it. You should just write a review about it. Just say that it's terrible. <laughs> I'm like, um, I need to have a discussion with you about uh, film critic ethics. <laughs> <laughs> he really said that. He's like, you should just, you should say it's terrible. Like, oh, what, okay, what he, after he watched it, did he change his tune or no? He did. He actually really liked it. Like I said, though, he did think it was a little, there were too many bombs. Okay. You know, he's not a big fan of people dying. That's, yeah. that's I not his strong suit. I, yeah. I share that. I share that thought with him. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, and it is a little shocking for a Pinocchio movie. You're really like, oh, fuck, that guy's yeah. dead. Oh, yeah, Jesus. it was it, yeah. <laughs> right away. You're like, oh, this is different. <laughs> All right, man. I got to get out of here. <laughs>